You're listening to episode 229 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Oh, what? Did you expect an opening bit from me? I thought someone else was doing it this week. Oh, uh, this is in reference to all of us saying that your bit sucked last week. I mean, my thing was... My thing was, I thought Marco made a big deal about how he was ready to step up to the plate and, mm. you know, he was, he wanted to be the new voice and, and he just fucking whiffed it. You're right. No, no. And here's the thing, right, is I, I felt after some reflection, you know, we're, we're a very mature, very uh, focused podcast on news, on things that matter, on, on treating comics as high art. And I don't think that I would, or I should belittle the podcast with some sort of Lame joke. <laughs> Is that what we're doing you now? Fucking piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I I take it back. Marco delivered. <laughs> Better than anything I Phil's done in two hundred episodes. Two hundred twenty-eight episodes. He fucking nails it. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. I'll continue to sit back here then. <laughs> Phil, why are you wearing a NASA hat? Oh, it's my new job. I work for the government now. It's a future astronaut right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm the real Adam Strange. Wait till that PTSD catches up with me. You remind me right now of um, Looking Glass from HBO's Watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the truth is my just bangs are just so long that I can't keep them out of my face anymore. <laughs> Dude, you gotta fucking do something about that. You had That's what the one, for. one like group of hair that was just down below your eye. Like, what are you doing? It's long. anyway. I don't actually care for an answer. Okay. So, his emo strand. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the Comics Pals. As we learned just now, Marco is now in charge of the opening bit, as it should be, until he fails. At which point, you know, the carousel can. Go around again and we can continue to uh, make fun of people who are not funny. So <laughs> with that out of the way, of course, I want to let you guys know where you can find us on the Internet and what we're up to. We're the Comics Pals all over the place. You type us in. We'll come up wherever it is that you listen to us. Please do leave us a review and a rating. We really appreciate that. You can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure that you guys are hitting that subscribe button. Uh, like the video, share it with your friends, and drop us a comment if you want to chat. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Join our Discord server. Come hang out with us. I put the call out every week, and you know we get some of you guys in, and, and it's always a great time. So come hang out with us. Speaking of Discord, through our Discord server this week, we are going to be hosting a watch-along for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, God. If you can believe that. Four <laughs> hours. You get to spend four hours with the Comics Pals, which is not that dissimilar from every single week when we talk <laughs> the show. But you get to be a part of it. I feel like uh, you know we're really, we're really pushing the brand in a brave new direction by just airing torture just airing the public torture of of the five of us for four solid hours live on the internet but you know we got to get those numbers up somehow 
See, I thought it was going to be a sort of experiential thing where it's like, be like the comics pals. Sit here in front of your computer for four hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. We should sell tickets to that, right? It's the comics pals experience. You don't that's even have to exactly leave your home. What it is. Yep. <clears throat> so I have to tell you guys something. I don't think I want to do this. Good. Great. Yes. All right. That's what I want. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to watch the movie. Sweet. Sweet. I didn't say I don't want to watch the movie. I don't want to watch the movie with you guys. What? And I don't want to watch the movie Sweet. with randoms. And I'm going to tell you why. I want to watch this movie legitimately, unironically. I want to see it. I'm excited for it. And I know that you guys and the listeners are not going to let that happen. I don't want to hear some douchebag in my ear telling me how dumb Zack Snyder is while I'm trying to get invested in Batman. Don't call Phil names. <laughs> you know what? Call Phil Sean? what I want. Easy now. But you know what? That's fair. We don't have to watch it. That's great. I, you know what, Sean? I respect that point of view. I think that's a really good point. Let's just not watch it. I mean, now, great. now you're, you're telling me you're telling me I got all. I've been waiting for this. I've been emotionally preparing myself for this, and now we're just not going to do it. Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. Yep. Okay. Listen, minimum, you don't want a douchebag on the thing. I'm out. That's great. It's <laughs> fine. I didn't say we didn't have to do it. I said I don't want to do it. There's a big difference. So, so you're gonna make us do it? And you're not gonna come? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not fair. If I have to suffer, I feel like you should have to suffer too. Oh, I'm using that as a way out. You kidding me? Our <laughs> our suffrage is different in this instance. <laughs> I will be suffering because I want to enjoy it and you guys won't let me. You will be suffering because you can't let yourself enjoy it. Those right. are different things. No, I'll be but, suffering, Sean, because my good friend Sean won't be there to watch it with me. <laughs> That's a different kind of suffering. That's a deeper suffering. Uh, I just you know <laughs> I suffer every single week on this podcast. You know what else made has making me suffer? What's that? I got my covid vaccine oh congratulations yeah love to hear it yes that was uh, a very arduous process i'm not even going to bother to tell the story of what i had to personally go through to get my covid vaccine but i got it at least the first dose so what i suggest is this what if we all minus kale get our covid vaccines and we actually bring back comic book conventions to the East Coast. We're going to throw our own convention. I yeah. said that last week, right? What was that? The Comics Pal something? Great name, Marco. I love it. But no one listens to you. So love this it. is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying we throw it, right? Okay. And we invite who, whoever wants to come. And we don't have to worry because we have our vaccine. And then we also get to make the money. Sure. All right, we all have different responsibilities here. Mine will be to get Chris Evans to come. Yes. Tall order, yes. but okay. I can do it. I can get Chris Evans. Yeah. Do you mean Captain America or do you mean the host of Top Gear? Or do you mean the Human Torch? Yeah, honestly, mm. when I saw Captain America the Great first question. time, I thought this might actually be Human Torch. <laughs> Dude, I was, I've been thinking about that shit all week. I was really confused <laughs> at first, you know? <laughs> I've been thinking about that all week. Um, yeah, so it's been a year since COVID. Obviously, it rocked the comics industry. It really sucks. And we lost all our cons and things like that. 
getting my vaccine was the first time I felt legitimately hopeful about the future. Yeah. Since it happened. So uh, I encourage everybody to get it. This is not some PSA or whatever, but uh, if you have access, I think you should. I feel a lot better. I get my second dose in a couple of weeks and I know that that's going to allow me to breathe a sigh of relief. And I think that's what we all want. Right. So if you've got questions, get them answered, but don't, don't hesitate because this shit's serious. Deal with what's in front of you. COVID's in front of you. On the other side of your vaccine is so much fun. Like I'm going to be going to Florida in June. You know, like I want to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm vaccinated, baby. I'm ain't doing no, what I ain't want. Ain't no vaccine going to keep you from Florida. <laughs> I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to live life. And, and that's what we need to be getting back to is living life. Which, so. which, um, which one did you get? Oh, I got the Pfizer. Sponsored by Pfizer. <laughs> yeah, the faster you all get your vaccine, the faster we can all like actually live life again. So it's been a year of this, like Sean said. Let's fucking just get it done, dude. I yeah. had a I had a moment today. I was like reading the reading the books that we're reviewing this week and sitting like in the sun. And I was just I was like, man, I'm just picturing a day in the future. I'm like, it's it's 2023. It's October. We're in New York. It's Comic Con. We're about to go do a bunch of interviews, and I'm just like, I can taste it. It feels like it's close again, you know? Yeah. Just want to see my boys. It's been one year since COVID came. Locked myself <laughs> up in the house and never came out. Damn, you were you were there. It was good you know, until the very end. I had, it, I had it in my head, and then I forgot what the line was going to be, so I just had to, had to commit. Not easy Sorry, being in Bare Naked Ladies, you know? No. Tom Brady threw the ball and he still dropped it. <laughs> so let's my my little uh, not PSA PSA aside. Let's actually jump into uh, a, a little bit of listener mail that we got this week through Twitter. Pete, take it away. You got it. Okay, so so this one comes from TXE Productions on episode two twenty eight over on Twitter, and they said, I think both. Or I should contextualize. This was uh, in response to our conversation about um, do creators have responsibility to uh, manage fan expectations in our you know extremely online culture. And uh, TXE wrote in and said, "I think both parties hold some blame, but when the star of Yo of Yo Damn Show comes out and teases a huge Skywalker like cameo only for it to be himself, that is something they should have handled better." Confusingly worded, but I agree. <laughs> Man is right. Is that, um, is that what he said? Yeah. yeah. That's what Paul Bettany said. Yeah, he was like, I I'm really, really excited to work with this actor who's going to be in the episode. And everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, to me, like, again, that, <clears throat> like, that could be anybody. So, like, to, like, sure. sure. Uh, to me, this is all just hyped behind that statement. That's not all he said, though. He said... That's, that's what I'm asking. Is that what he, he said? I, I, I would have loved to have responded, believe me. Uh, he said that he was surprised and thankful that this huge actor who was going to appear in one of the episodes that the, that the cameo had not been spoiled yet. It was a Luke Skywalker-level okay. cameo and an actor that he was really excited to get to work <clears throat> with. Oh, okay. See, I haven't seen that part. That's the part that I haven't seen. I spent so long waiting for the last episode of WandaVision, waiting for Luke Skywalker to show up, and he never did. That would have been cool. 
<laughs> what if he was the one at the door? Game changer. That's what you want. This is. It's finally time. It's finally time to cross pollinate. Hyper crisis, baby. <laughs> I'm with it. Uh, so if you want to hear our thoughts about how WandaVision resolved, obviously you got a sneak peek of that last week with our main topic, uh, which is just was addressing fan expectations versus the hype that these studios, you know, put out there. Uh, if you want our full thoughts, go listen to the finale of We Watch WandaVision, uh, or you can listen to the whole thing. It's all out. We're done with it now. Uh, so if you are caught up on WandaVision or you just want to hear our take, go check that out. Um, we had a blast doing that. And we're going to do the same thing for Falcon Winter Soldier. So uh, come hang out with us for that as well. Let's jump into the pals polls. From Kale, we've got uh, Ultra Mega number one. What is that? So this is a, a new series from James Heron, who did um, uh, Rumble and BPRD. Uh, this is a it's a series in the vein, I, th- I, I sort of in the same um, style as Radiant Black. It's a um, uh, Tokusatsu um, uh, love letter, basically homage. Um, about a a plague that spreads and it turns people into kaiju. And so there are three people called the Ultra Mega who uh, have incredible powers and they're the only only people with them and they have to fight the kaiju. Um, it sounds dope as hell. That sounds like a Toku Sentai kind of gimmick. <clears throat> yeah. Nice. Um, did you mention who the publisher was on that? Uh, it's an image. Image, nice, cool. Yeah, it's so a it's Skybound kind of... book, right? Uh, yes. It looks, yeah, yeah, yeah it yes. Is. It's got yeah. the logo on it, yeah. And so, Marco, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying the the issues are all exercised. Oh, um, nice. All yeah, of cool. them are. Yeah, each issue is exercised, oh, um, and this one's Fuck a sixty-page yeah. uh, yeah. debut, so it's gonna be wow, well worth it. Nice. Yeah. So then, really cool. All of them are extra beyond that. Are they all 60 or is it just they're all longer than normal? I think they're all just longer than normal. Interesting. Cool. 60 out of the gate's cool. Yeah. It's a cool cover. Marco shows <laughs> Avery number four. Yeah. So this is a Wave Blue World book. And uh, I decided to give it a shot. I saw that they had done a Kickstarter for it a few months back. And um, it's cool. It's it's an interesting sort of commentary on social media. Um, what if we were all ranked? And I think they have a similar system either in um, India or China, where there's like an app that gives you rankings um, of and humans just like, of like like social media of, uh, yeah, of rankings. It's a thing um, in China. Yeah, I saw that community episode. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just an interesting like what happens when somebody's rank decreases once they were like up somewhere high and how does that change your life yeah in my myspace top eight marco you're definitely not in the top eight <gasps> no <laughs> sorry wow i'm not in your fave five i'm my fave five i was out of the loop uh in life at that time hmm. but i can imagine that the, the myspace like top eight thing caused a lot of drama it did it was yeah. very serious yeah. social politics yeah at the time, I put bands in my top eight because I felt really guilty about ranking my Bill, friends. That is such a you thing to do of like, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to totally remove myself from it. I just have all bands. Nobody's important to me. That wasn't the <laughs> thinking. It's, I didn't, I didn't want to create drama. I felt guilty. Sure, sure. 
Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Phil chose Superman Red and Blue, number one. Yeah, this is really neat. It looks like it's going to be a Superman book that utilizes nothing but red and blue colors. You can see that on the cover. It appears to be some kind of anthology book. Uh, and we have John Ridley on it, who I've uh, never... He, he did the next Batman DC Future State book, but he's um, famous for winning an Academy Award as the screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave, which is a fantastic movie. Um so that's, that'll be interesting. He'll be joined by Clayton Henry, who will be doing art on his portion. Uh, Brandon Easton, who worked on Future State's Mr. Miracle, and Steve Lieber will do another portion. And then uh, Wes Craig and uh, Marguerite, I think, or Marguerite Bennett. Marguerite, uh, will, Marguerite Bennett. Marguerite Bennett, thank you. We'll be uh, working on another portion. Um, it sounds really cool to me. I is like this, anthology books a lot. Is uh, this going to be like uh, the Batman black and white? I, I, don't, I don't think so, but maybe. Uh, it, it, there, I, I have a quote from a Comics Beat article, and the first sentence from DC is, in the spirit like of DC's white? iconic Eisner Award-winning Batman Black and White anthology okay. series. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've also seen Wonder Woman is getting a black and gold series. Ah, black and White was really good. I'm into this concept. Uh, <laughs> I think it, yeah. Uh, Superman really thrives in these environments. There's been a, a myriad of like the Adventures of Superman books that are kind of mm. anthology-like. Those are always really good. Superman as a character really, I think, lends himself to kind of short form stories, whether like it's a graphic novel format, which of course is a longer. Uh, I think I, I'm intrigued. I think there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm excited to pick this up. I uh, read an interview with John Ridley <clears throat> and he he talked about you know, the fact that this was his first at bat with Superman and he was going to bring a very personal story to the table and, you know, the importance of Superman to him. And it was interesting to read that uh, from a from a black person. Yes, uh, I, I wanted to bring that of, up. Uh, you know, what we had spoken about a couple mm -hmm. of weeks ago, um, the idea of a, of a black Superman and stuff like that. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting. There was that angle, which I thought would appeal to you, Sean. And then like the little... Uh, one sentence kind of sales pitch on his story, I thought also sort of appealed to you, which says that uh, they will tell a story of Clark Kent as he confronts a villain who still haunts him and a story that shows what Superman can mean to the whole country. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how uh, Sean never really, Superman never really appealed to him. Uh, I feel like this is an angle that maybe you could try to reach out to Sean, you know? Yeah. Uh, Ridley wrote it for me. So you specifically. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Called you up beforehand. Speaking of me, I also I chose uh, Justice League Fifty Nine. Now, we know that the writer of Justice League Fifty Nine is none other than Brian Michael Bendis. We also know that Brian Michael Bendis has not exactly been lighting the world on fire with some of his DC work. Uh, so. I'm still going to buy it because I'm excited anyway. I mean, that's uh, all going to change this issue, right? She's Adams showing up, man. Yes. And he actually uh, did an interview and it, it was with CBR and they asked him about that whole thing. And he was very, very like clear and um, direct in that his name is not Shazadam. It's just that they, you know, those people referred to him that way. And he was he was annoyed and couldn't believe how ridiculous that whole discourse was. 
I mean, he was annoyed. He was the one who escalated the situation. Like, ultimately, what happened was Rich Johnson reported on a rumor that ended up being true at some capacity, and Brian Michael Bendis dragged him on Twitter. <laughs> like, some capacity. Okay. Was it not? <laughs> yeah, was it not? It was on the page. He didn't change the name. Like, that's. It, yeah, in. in... Bendis's defense, this was a thing that was like people made it sound like he was gonna refer to the character as Adam when ultimately it just it seems like it amounted to nothing more than a throwaway, like kind of appendicism. Appendicism, yeah. yeah. That is true, but uh Rich Johnson didn't have the context of of the well, in the, he didn't have the context of what's going to happen beyond that issue. But in that issue, they did call him Shazadam. So. Right. And that was all he said. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, uh, I feel like you know, Bendis kind of got a little too tweaked on that one. But uh, either way, this, this series will also feature a backup by Rom V and Zermanico, hmm. uh, which is going to be a uh, Justice League Dark backup. So okay, should be cool. Marco, you in? Ah, man. <laughs> the story wasn't that great. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn, all right. <laughs> Not what I expected. Uh, <laughs> Kale, Pete, and I chose Radiant Black number two. Yeah. Um. So we read Radiant Black uh, for review a couple weeks back, if you want to go check out our thoughts on the first issue. Um, I think we all felt pretty similarly that it was, like, a fine first issue, but it was, like, very... It was just kind of set up, right? It was very, like, paint-by-numbers. Here is the character. Here's what his status quo is. Here's how he gets his powers. Here's his friend. Let's see where it goes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I remember expressing at the end of that review that it's, like, you know, there's there's not a ton there that, like, grabbed me, but it was, like, certainly an enjoyable enough first issue that I'm willing to give it a few to see if it, get get somewhere you know um they got a lot of i think the kind of necessary place setting done in that first issue so like you know the second one i think presents a real opportunity for us to like move forward and start getting to know the characters a little bit better and seeing if there's something for you there yeah i think this issue is really where we're gonna see if if it's any good yeah if you know the concept that's there is worth it yeah uh i i'm totally agreed on that i'm actually really hyped for this issue me too mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> this is a sink or swim issue for sure i really really want to connect with it yeah ditto speaking of something that i want to connect with we've got a planet-sized x-men issue coming this june so Obviously, we all know about giant-sized X-Men. That's something that Marvel has been putting out uh, with Hickman, teaming up with some superstar artist or another to tell individual stories about specific characters. Well, now we get planet-sized X-Men. And this is actually what's going to kick off the Hellfire Gala event that is going to be the summer X-Men event for Marvel. Uh, This will be written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Pepe Larraz. Nice. Yes, this is going to be a double-sized one-shot that's going to introduce the Hellfire Gala event, which will take place over the course of 12 issues. So I assume it will have a similar uh, cadence 
as uh, Ten of Swords. Great. But obviously a lot shorter. So I like that. Nothing wrong with that. The cover of this issue looks really uh, pretty fresh too. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about it for a while, Sean, but we, you know, we want to go back to the, you know, uh, uh, ho- uh, the Hoxpox stuff. And it'd be great if that's this kind of return to form. Uh, well, hopefully it is that content-wise or quality-wise. Yes. But co- content-wise, uh, this is the, one of the things we're going to see throughout the Hellfire Gala is um, the announcement of the, the new X-Men team. Right, uh, right. Yeah, that's really exciting. So that's pretty exciting. In- interestingly, um, this is the message that Krakowins received. Um, and I think that there's there's an interesting uh, nugget here. So it says, for the people, the X-Men are the heroes of Krakoa. For the people made up of the mutants of our great nation. In the coming days, we will announce the dates of our annual X-Men election and we'll be accepting nominations for representatives. This will be followed by a formal vote and then an unveiling of your team for the, at the first Hellfire Gala. Hmm. So the idea that this will be an annualized event, right? That's interesting, yeah. Like, what happened, like, realistically, do you guys think that this is something that uh, the X-Men will do every year in terms of it being something we actually witness? Or do you think this is going to be a complete disaster? I it could, just, it could just be the new annual. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I sort of see it as something that happens, like, in the background, you know, like, oh, the elections are this year. And then, you know, it happens like uh, off panel, so to speak. I I think, I think this is, it fits thematically with what Hickman's been trying to do. This is very society focused, larger. How does the X, how do the X-Men and the mutants in general form a new sort of set of government? So this, this is very in line with his larger goal. So I don't see that going away or being tossed aside necessarily. I do think it'll be maybe not as big an event, let's say next year but it'll be something that plays throughout the background and characters interact with. It's like, Hey, how are you? Like, I want to become an X-Men and you know, how do I get that ball rolling? I'm sure it will be stories that you can probably milk from this. Yeah. I I think you're probably right. I think like you, I could easily see that being a a kind of thread that runs through multiple stories, like for, especially for like younger characters, you know, Um, and, and maybe some like new mutants that we don't know as well. And some of those kinds of things that characters they want to try to put over. Um, but I, I do think you'll probably see it be an event every year um, because I think in, in the same way that Marco's talking about, right? I think the entire this entire age of X-Men is about their culture. And you can imagine how the election of the X-Men would be a major thing that Krakoa would look forward to, right? And as it was coming up, there'd be mutants that are like lobbying to be get votes and and all these kinds of things mm-hmm. that like we probably won't necessarily see this first time because it's new, but once it's est- established and there's a year's worth of stories about this team of X-Men, you can also see like how what if one of the members who are on this original team like fuck something up? Right. And then like they're in jeopardy of losing their spot and someone else, you know, comes in and changes the team dynamic. And you can totally see how that could be milked for for lots of really cool stories that are just different than what we've ever seen before. Right. The X-Men have never had an election before. That's totally, totally outside the realm of what we know, um, but through the lens of something extremely familiar, you know? Yeah, I I think this is really exciting. Uh, They've done a good job of not 
putting the Hellfire Gala in our face in a way that's annoying, but kind of like letting the idea of it run in the background and ramp yeah. up to it <laughs> being a thing. And so my hype is building alongside the way that they're positioning it. So yeah. Uh, it also happens to drop on my birthday, June 16th. Oh, shit. So nice. this nice. is yet another book written for me. Yeah, it, this feels a lot to me like the vault stuff where it's like this has been marinating a long time and like I'm I'm super ready to see it go somewhere, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're also going to find out who won the, the, the vote that we had on, on social media about who you know which of these 10 characters should join the the x-men and i feel like we know polaris won but marvel's not gonna say it until yeah. the issue drops she, she was like so far ahead i'm still holding out for the grassroots character uh eye boy so we'll see <laughs> the right in right he's grassroots he's you know his own man his own campaign he's running in the background we'll see what happens He's his own X-Men team. I think there's still a chance I win, guys. I don't know. I Can't you see me on the X-Men? I can't. <laughs> Canadian Wolverine. Oh, <laughs> I'm I'm a strong like guy. Oh, I'm morale, man. I'm there to boost everyone's confidence. I'm like, nah, Wolverine, listen, dude, you got this. Just go in there. You definitely won't be incinerated. <laughs> he just I'm imagining <laughs> Phil like just exactly as he is, no powers, and he just is like a like a really, you know, mid level wrestling manager. Like he's got a towel and a squirt bottle and he's like rubbing Wolverine's shoulders. He's like, Get back out there, champ. And that's his entire contribution. Dude, what's with your bones? They're so hard. <laughs> I know that sounds weird the hell uh <laughs> anyway we just wrapped up wandavision which was an eight week long i think um experience that wrapped up i feel like everybody on social media was talking about it and uh it very much felt like a return to the days of Game of Thrones or, uh, you know, one of those bigger shows that really enraptured everybody. And it was a cool experience for that to be a Marvel show because we've never really had that before. Um, the best Marvel shows we've had were all uh, shows that were dropped in one shot, right? Like Daredevil was all available in one shot. So that consistent conversation wasn't something that you could really have about Daredevil. But we had it with WandaVision and... Marvel is hoping that they strike gold again with Falcon and Winter Soldier, which will begin next week, in fact. And we know that it won't be eight hours long. That's all we know, is that it will not be eight hours long. It's going to be uh, nine hours, and fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Mackie jumped the gun and said that it was going to be an eight-hour movie. Uh, and Kevin Feige has come out and said that that's not exactly true. He said, not quite eight hours, but yes, it all comes down to the storytelling. I guess the short answer is we don't distinguish it too much. The bar is set high for the features and for the series, and we try to exceed the bar every time. Obviously, the week-to-week -week unveiling gives us opportunities, as we're now seeing with WandaVision for sure. But we're building the shows to be experienced that way. The way we build our features to be experienced in a run. And sometimes they have tags that hint at the future. It's fun to be able to do that week to week in series programming. But other than that, it's very much the same high bar that we try to set for ourselves and want to meet the expectations that the audience has when they go to a theater to see one of our films or when they now turn on Disney+. Plus. 
So I think that there's there's something happening there where Kevin Feige is trying to cool people down a little bit. Uh, there was a lot of conversation about how long WandaVision would be. Yeah. And every single week it felt like people were angry with the runtime and expecting it to to meet um you know this six hour mark um that at some point during the series we heard that the show would ultimately be about six hours so reddit was chock full of people trying to piece together the exact run times to figure out how long it would be a lot uh kevin feige is getting ahead of that now shutting that down and saying no it won't be eight hours but around that point do you guys think that him doing this is inspired by some of the feedback that wandavision received I'm sure it is like I'm sure it is like you said just them him trying to temper expectations however much he can um, because you know I think overall right I, I think it would be hard to argue that WandaVision wasn't a success and that like the overall um, kind of public reaction to it was positive right but that's not to say that there weren't a lot of criticisms and and things that they could learn from and I feel like that is totally a thing right where it's like you didn't need to come out and say how long it was going to be you didn't really need to give us a ballpark um and doing so just opened themselves up for criticism right so um and like does it really matter no Uh, like if I'm being honest I, I think this is one of those like if you're the type of fan who cares so much about this show that you're going on Reddit to bitch about the fact that it wasn't exactly as long as they had said it would be in some interview from months before, you know what I mean? Like you care so much that you're in, like you watched the whole thing and you, you were in, you're going to watch the next one and analyze that too and everything. So it's like, I think there's always going to be that level of fan that is that, you know, like wound up about this kind of thing and i think anything he can do to to try to mitigate some of that negativity is like it behooves them to do so well what's interesting is i'm i'm looking on twitter here now he's saying they they had to take out a 20 minute boner joke after the wonder <laughs> after the wandavision finale i don't i can't imagine what they would have gotten out of that thank goodness they got ahead of that one wild Thank goodness. <laughs> so, so it'll be seven hours and forty minutes. Uh, not for nothing, man. I'm grateful to those Disney execs because, like, having a twenty to thirty-five minute show once a week is like, exactly my tempo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like dropping them all at once and making them like forty-five minutes to an hour five. Like, oh man, that would have been tough. Well, Falcon Winter Soldier certainly is going to be closer to that hour mark. Oof. Yeah. Oof. You heard it here first, folks. Phil is glad for the company and corporation known as Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. To me, like, this feels like such a, like, nothing story. Like, I think what's so fun about the Disney Plus uh, model for these shows is that they don't have to adhere to any time limit, right? Yeah. Like, what I liked about uh, WandaVision was that you know those like first two or however many episodes that were like all in universe were like sitcom length you know and like that felt mm. like a cool little like meta easter egg that the episode was 22 minutes you know um, and as it got longer and had more to contend with like they yeah they let the episodes be a little bit longer I would rather have that than be like 
oh, we need to hit this arbitrary length of they're all 45 minutes. And, you know, like you run into that problem we used to have with the Netflix shows where it would be like almost every one of those shows that or at least all the ones that aren't Daredevil have at least one episode where it's just like, okay, I know we're right in the middle of the story. We're really close to the climax. Let's have this one random offshoot episode where we go look into the backstory of a supporting character from 30 years ago. And it's like, I loved that WandaVision didn't have to do any of that shit because it wasn't trying to check boxes. It was just, it told the story and it was done. If this does that, I think that'll be to our benefit. I think that's true. I think that um, given that it was the first Marvel produced TV show, there was a lot of questions about how Marvel would choose to proceed with something like that when they didn't have any types of constraints like like what you're talking about to adhere to. And I think that uh, when it comes to the runtime aspect and the episode length, fans got into a tizzy because they didn't have any expectations. There were no... Um, there was no history to go by. Mm. The only thing you could kind of go by is the Mandalorian, which is similar in the sense that it doesn't feel like a show that um, is locked into any specific length um, by any means. There are episodes that are like way shorter, I feel, than others. Um, and given the nature of WandaVision, where it's a show that's very meta and has like all sorts of wacky stuff going on, it's easy to understand why people would analyze it and not not really be able to tell when you're overanalyzing it versus, you know, being in line with what the show is putting down. So sure, sure. Um, with Falcon Winter Soldier, though, I'm excited about it for a lot of reasons. One of them, though, is that it is almost assuredly going to be more linear than WandaVision because I want my one major criticism uh, is that WandaVision did so many different things that by the end it not like really addressing a lot of the ones that were outside of the very specific scarlet witch vision agatha drama uh the, a lot of the things that it was it seemed to be establishing or teasing just kind of fell by the wayside including supporting characters who weren't teased but were literally there falcon winter soldier doesn't have the baggage of meta context or anything like that it's a straight up show and i'm excited for that to know that what I'm seeing is what I'm getting. And that's it. I feel like both of those characters are better defined too. Like they might've had the same number of appearances, but like, I feel like you have such a like better idea of like who they are and what they're about. And like, you can kind of just focus on the buddy cop angle and like really focus in on two characters that people know and love. And you don't need to do a ton of contextualizing for yeah, we know true. when this was filmed in relation to WandaVision. I'm not sure. Somewhat uh, simultaneously, uh, right? Well, yeah, the reason I ask is the the you know, there have been all sorts of reports of the last episode. A lot of the stuff they were doing had COVID restrictions. Mm. So I was just wondering if, you know, we're gonna see that here again. Yeah, I don't remember um how they were filmed in relation to each other. But I would imagine that any of these productions that we're seeing now probably ran into the same mm. problem at some point. Mm. Um, yeah. So the main reason why I wanted to talk about this is to let you guys know once again that we're going to be doing 
we watched Falcon Winter Soldier here in just one week when the series drops. So you can anticipate that the same type of cadence we had for WandaVision, we will have for this show as well. So you can get started with us on that next week uh, whenever you know you decide you want to tune in. Uh, I'm really excited for Falcon Winter Soldier. I think that there's a lot of potential with this show to be great and to showcase two characters who we know have main event potential, but just haven't had the chance to be elevated yet. Mm -hmm. But the two characters who, uh, or I should say the one character who kind of, they played second fiddle to, uh, that being Captain America, Steve Rogers, is out of the equation now. So they have the ability to step up into that role and we don't know how the show's going to end. We don't know if Bucky's going to have the, the shield. We don't know if Falcon's going to have it. So there are some questions to be answered. And me personally, I can't wait to see what this show has to offer. How do you want to see that play out? Um, I don't actually care. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I feel like either way, it's going to be cool. Yeah. I think, I think uh, in my heart of hearts, I probably want to see Falcon with the shield just because I mean, there's a lot of obvious reasons why, but um, we know that both characters have great stories told about them in that position. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are tremendous branches that you can, you can sort of tug on either way. I think I'm kind of with you though. I feel like it would be cool to see Falcon get the shield and just let Bucky be his, you know, his right hand man. Yeah. Well, or just be his own man, whatever. I'll, sure, you know. sure. I like them together, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know who else I like together? I think this is a tremendous creative team. Garth Ennis and Liam Sharp. I tell you those two names. <laughs> do you expect greatness? Yes, yes I do. I think that's fair to say. Now, what if I also tell you that they're going to be working on a black label book? Oh, Hot damn! Hey. That sounds pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Sounds pretty good. Kill. Penis. Oh, Penis. Right. Now, what if <laughs> I tell dick. you? <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Now, what if I tell you the character they're going to be working on is Batman? Oh, we're going to see his dick again. <laughs> Batman's about to hang brain. <laughs> Marco seems a lot less enthusiastic now. Yeah, that's all right. Marco yeah, doesn't like is. to see the same penis twice. Do <laughs> <laughs> any of the hentai's different penises every time? Always. I don't know how to feel about that, so I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> this is introducing a series of DC announcements that we got this week uh, through their solicits, and the first one is a doozy. Uh, so Garth Ennis and Liam Sharp, who Liam Sharp is one of the best artists in the biz. I think he just wrapped up um, the Grant the Grant yes. Morrison Green Lantern. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and now he's teaming up with Garth Ennis to tell a story for Black Label called Batman Reptilian. So these two creators are going to be introducing a new villain to Batman, which I feel like there's just new villains popping up all over the place in Batman. It's the lizard, bro. I, I mean, they, he already has Killer Croc. Like, yep. like damn. <laughs> just like, look at the cover. Like, it's just, oh, right. it's, Kurt, it's Kurt Connors? Oh, shit. The Lizard and Killer Croc <laughs> do the fusion dance, and that's how you get Reptilian. It's good, yeah. I hope the villain's name is not Reptilian, but okay. It's very Silver Age, B, sci-fi. 
so this is, is this is the solicit. Uh, Gotham City is filled with murderous creatures who stalk the shadows, foul villains with murderous impulses who strike fear into the hearts of every man, woman, and child in the city. But what strikes fear into the hearts of those who terrorize the city? It used to be Batman, but something far more frightening than a mere man has begun stalking the shadows. And after Gotham's villains, how savage must a monster be to haunt the dreams of monsters? Meh. Sure, whatever. Who yeah. cares? Look at the art. <laughs> yeah, bro. I'll yep. give you that. Premise-wise, though, it feels like, I mean, that's kind of the Mad Hatter gimmick is like uh, haunting dreams of people or whatever. Like, it feels like kind of a, you know, Mad Libs of Batman stuff we are already I, I feel like with. you took that very literally. I yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're, they're trying to say that literally he haunts the dreams. Yeah. No, I think it's just, yeah, he's like the boogeyman, you know? Yeah. It, it looks beautiful, though. Yeah, it looks great. I mean, this is one of those things, right, where it's like there are a lot of good comic books that el- that have a dumb elevator pitch, right? Or like if you try to boil it down to two sentences, it doesn't sound novel. But those are, you know, very talented creators. Looks like the art is amazing. I'm with you, Sean, in terms of like Liam Sharp is one of the best people working today. Um, could be good. This looks like Arkham Asylum to a degree. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It it felt very much like um Moritat art. It has like almost like an oily sort of mm-hmm. style to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the the art was the thing that brought me in. I was like, oh Liam Sharp. And then I saw this. I'm like, dude, this is a whole fucking different artist. Like the way he's able to change his style. Yeah. It's crazy. This looks nothing like Green Lantern, right? Like Green yep. like it this looks so much less um flat. And like I don't mean that in like a bad way, but like his work on Green Lantern feels flat in like a very like classical kind of way, you know, like it feels like it's it's tapping into that like golden age kind of flavor. And this is like a totally different vibe. Yeah, that that was like kind of pulpy is, a good, yes. is how I would describe it. And this feels this feels more surreal. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love this. I, I love this so much. Like, and I'm going to confess right now that I don't think i can't think of a time that i've ever read a garth ennis comic book really um uh preacher nope really oh yep cross you nope and you've never read the boys right punisher nope really okay uh hitman was really good that was a dc one that was basically dc punisher Mm, never read that you when did you start picking up dc books uh, around the new 52 uh the first time i ever picked up a dc comic book was probably in 2006 with yeah, probably, uh, grant morrison's batman you probably wouldn't have read one then yeah oh because yeah for me like you it, it would have been likely that you would have read one of his uh his batman things but if not then pretty, pretty sure i had a pretty good run on aquaman too in the around that time mid 2000s sounds really weird but no i've not it? read that one either i think so yeah. <laughs> i think you might be confused with kurt busiek maybe i'm wrong damn well in any event uh this is going to be a six issue story that begins june 22nd so if you are into it definitely go pick this up and check out the art because this book looks fire yeah Moving on, though, we've got a double dose of Batman announcements because 
Batman The Adventures Continue will be getting a season two. So DC has been doing the season thing yeah. uh, a lot lately, and uh, I guess it's working out. I don't know. It's their new gimmick. I'm I'm kind of into it, um, and we're getting that. I don't know how well season one went over because it was digital first. I didn't read that, and then when it would drop in stores, I just didn't care anymore. Um, but season two will be introducing the Court of Owls to the Adventures Continue universe. That's really cool. I, I'm I'm kind of with you. Where like I, I was very interested in this uh, when it was first announced, and I just never got around to it. But I feel like we talked about it somewhat recently. It might have come up when we were talking about those new throwback series, like the Superman '78 and Batman '89 books that they're yes. doing, that are like kind of a similar format. Um, and that kind of put it back on my radar, and I, I really, really do want to check it out. I'm excited to see that it's at least was at least successful enough to warrant another another round. It, it's something I think about often with the Batman animated series stuff. Is you know that that show ended in like 1997, I think, and all the stuff and Batman lore that's happened over the last 30 years. Because even the stuff that was being published, you know. Uh, at the same time as the show really wasn't in the show what that would be like if it was actually in that universe or whatever and court of owls court of owls is like one of the big ones of the last 10 years if not the biggest so that's really cool i'm really uh, intrigued by that concept yeah i i think it's going to be really cool to see the court um in this environment uh, the art is really awesome too. I mean, it's 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 just the style of you know the animated series, but mm-hmm. I think it looks great. Um, this is of course written by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini. Yeah. The art's by Ty Templeton and Monica Kubina, and uh, Riley Rossmo actually did a cover, the main cover, which features Dead Man. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool too. Love Boston Brand. Yeah, he, that's always fun when he's in a book with, uh, with Batman. That's always fun. Yeah, uh, I think I might jump on if i can remember that i cared to buy this yeah <laughs> <laughs> yo man i mean if you want like i said i really would love to read it like if you want to do like a you know i don't know some kind of recap and then we jump on for the second round uh for our reviews or something i'd be down to do that with you sounds great uh yeah. i'll see if a trade has been released yet of the of the first season and i'll pick yeah. it up yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been waiting for. Like, I'd love to just sit down and do it in one shot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about Black Label, and here's another Black Label announcement from DC. This one, though, doesn't actually feature Batman, although it features Batman writer James Tinian. So James Tinian is going to be teaming up with Alvaro Martinez Bueno on a creator-owned title, if you can believe that. Interesting. Uh, called the nice house on the lake now what the hell could that possibly be about i'm sure it's uh, uneventful yeah absolutely. <laughs> creator owned. there's no talent it's so, this is the first creator owned thing on black label right i want to say so yeah it's weird and that that we can start there that's fine i was curious as to what you guys thought about that so they're they're saying this is they're describing this as a C, as a twelve issue season, so they're doing the season thing with this mm-hmm. series as well. Okay. What do you guys think about the idea of Black Label being a place where DC can host creator own books as well? Why not? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think it mat. That doesn't bother me at all. Like I, the idea that like the concept of black label is bigger than it just being applied to DC's IP is totally that's that's fine with me. It's interesting that it seems like it DC black label being used that way would sort of supplant vertigo. Yeah. I was sort of thinking about it like like that because The Last God, I think, is a I think right. it's creator owned. Oh right. with Philip yeah. Kennedy Johnson. Okay. Yeah. And and that's like a whole different take on other stories. Uh, it's not anything related to DC. So I think that they are trying to use it as that intermediary, including Is, it, is that a black label? Yeah, that's yeah, black label. Absolutely. Like, even mixing the vertigo, the maybe the young animal stuff, because I don't yeah. know if they're still putting that stuff out. And That's supposed to be on pause until Gerard Way comes back. Mm, okay. Allegedly. Yeah, right. Who's to say if that happens, but I mean, I, I think it has enough of a of a brand name at this point to distinguish itself in that way. And if that's something that they can bring in, you know, top creators, why not? And then from there easily funnel them into like proper DC. Well, and like you look at like Tinian, right? Like he just did um something is killing the children for boom right like i'm sure that i'm sure that this is a similar i don't know i wouldn't say i'm sure i am kind of looking at this as a similar play to like when marvel had um icon Icons. yeah mm, yeah yes. where it was like oh like we want to keep bendis but he really wants to put out powers so here you go or like you know oh we really want to we want to let Mark Millar put out Kick-Ass. Here's this imprint that we have where we can do that so you don't go somewhere else and you can still be exclusive, you know? Um, Funny, but that's what Vertigo was. Right, but I mean, like, I we talked about the end of Vertigo and I, I feel like it was kind of multifaceted where, like, it wasn't... Like, I, I am with you in terms of that brand having value and, like, why not just continue that? But it's also, like... The idea that Black Label was kind of this thing that it just kind of means like R-rated, right? Like when like when I think like Black Label book, like generally what I think of that meaning is that it's like an A-tier creator yeah. who's telling a, a adult story, you know? And like Vertigo wasn't necessarily that and Vertigo's identity changed a lot, you know, um, over time. And like the idea of them wanting to clean that up and have like the black label stamp mean something, but also have the DC name in it and not have this other separate sub brand that, you know, if you're a casual reader, you don't know that Vertigo is DC, you know, Um, but you know, Batman's DC. And if this comes out and is a hit and then becomes a movie or a TV show or whatever, and you're like, Oh, that's DC. You know? They they also integrated a lot of the, DC, the Vertigo characters into DC proper, sure. Swamp Thing, Hellblazer, mm-hmm. like whatever, right? Into that, and then Sandman spun off into its own universe. So I think it became like a consolidation point. Like, why have two mature lines? To to Pete's point, like let's keep the DC stamp on one of them yeah. and retire one because that was what like I I would go to a Vertigo because of the Sandman, because of the Swamp Thing, because of the Hellblazer, but that's not there anymore. And then to that point, Marco, if you if you guys will recall, this was around that same time that they had that consolidation and they got rid of like whatever their kids line was at the time. And there was like 
they had like these different like young adult things and they kind of brought them all under one banner so it's just like there's DC and DC is regular monthly superhero comics in the main universe Black Label is the adult stuff that's outside continuity and then there's the kid stuff that's outside continuity you know Mm -hmm. Um, obviously young adults sure 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 yeah Um, and like obviously that probably is a little bit less meaningful now that they're kind of making all of the books just whatever they want to be, but I think it's just Black Label is mature. So why not to create our own stuff? Why not have James Sinian's next big book be with you rather than with your competitor? Yeah, I think it's pretty smart. Um, Tinian is, I mean, you don't see creators on fire like this all the time. Mm-hmm. And it would behoove DC to keep him in house as much as they possibly can. I wonder, you know, because he is kind of breaking into that a tier if he's not already in it. And I wonder at what point they might not be able to afford him. Mm-hmm. We've seen what's <laughs> happened with some other creators. Um, and this book being at DC to me is a good sign that their working relationship is still strong, that he still has Mm -hmm. intentions of working there. And, you know, if this is a hit, which all of his other books have been, then DC effectively was able to put their hands in a cookie jar that normally isn't for them. Yep. Uh, That being the creator own jar. So. Especially if it becomes something like something is going to the children or the department of truth where like press, uh, you know, praise for the work that that'll be something that, would would be great for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not great for DC. Oh wait, sorry. A quick oh. shout out to letterer Darren Bennett. He's actually a friend of the show. We met him at um, the Ahoy booth. He's uh, good pals with the the, the Ahoy guys. Um, he's the letterer on this book. So if, for anybody who wants to support his work as well, um, really good stuff. Jordy Belair on colors. Yep, love to see it. You know what's bad for DC? What's that, Sean? DC. their plans for nfts non-fungible tokens Mm. does anyone know what that means yes yes thanks to marco right no tell us more sean i will so as it turns out i'm old uh (laughs) i see things like nft and my eyes roll into the back of my head and i don't get it and i'm just like okay i'm moving on from this but when I saw that DC was involved in whatever that is, I had to learn what NFT means because I wasn't going to allow myself to miss out on an opportunity to playfully dunk on DC Comics. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. Uh, non-fungible tokens are essentially like... Um, and they're they're in that 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 Bitcoin space, that cryptocurrency space, and essentially what it allows is for you to basically like tag a piece of digital art or media, saying that you are the the owner of it. So even if like let's say it's a a Wonder Woman image, right? And uh, you know I I I drew it, right? Um, and I sell it to Pete exclusively i sell it to pete first he's got the og digital copy then that digital copy will have like a 
a, a mark on it, a trace, a, a you know, a serial number, if you will, right? Showing, proving that that belongs to Pete. Now, I could sell this a million times after the fact, but Pete is the only person who will have the original copy. And over the last year, that has become something that is meaningful to people. And now it's become more meaningful than ever. Uh, Phil, you look like you're trying to jump in. It's just a clarifying question. I saw something that like trading card companies are doing similar things with their cards, like digital version only that like are especially marked that you can sell them off that way. Is it like a similar thing to that? Probably. Uh, I guess. I would imagine it's the same principle, right? Like, okay. Yeah. Effect, effect, excuse me. Essentially what this is trying to do is make it so that you can sell digital copies of a work without just having it be generic, right? Because like, it's not just a picture on the internet, right? Or, or, or like the fact that, like, for example, when you buy a digital copy of a comic, right? Like every copy of it is identical, yeah. right? It's just you're getting access to the same file everyone else has. Whereas if you were to do it this way, you know, you would have like a set number of like generated codes, right? And they would be numbered, and you would know that you know, oh, you had. You know, in the same way that, like, when you buy a st- if you, if anybody collects statues or anything like that, right? Like my invincible statue, you can see behind me if you're watching on YouTube. It, the box came with a certificate and it has a number where it's this number of the fifteen hundred that were printed, right? Um, and that signifies that I have this specific one. And okay. exclusivity has always been something that people have been willing to pay for, especially in the art space. People, of course, buy very valuable pieces of art. But um, a lot of people do that with the intent to sell it later. It's it's an investment sometimes more than just a, a desire to have it for the purposes of being a collector. And that's something that we're seeing now in the in the NFT space, the crypto art space, where there are a lot of speculators and people who think that it's going to be worth a lot. So it's a bubble more so than people just really genuinely wanting to have more exclusivity tied to their digital art, because it really is kind of a ridiculous concept, right? Like if you own a Picasso um, and it's in your house, well, you have that and that's it. There, There is no other one. That's the one that Picasso drew. You managed to get it and now it's hanging in your house somewhere. Whereas this, of course, any old fool could have the same exact thing you have, literally, except for the fact that there's a tag on it or, a you know, the equivalent of a serial number. So how does this relate to DC? Oh, sorry, before I move on, there is a highly negative aspect that people have pointed out whereby um, the farming of, of cryptocurrency and the, the ability to the mining, sorry, and the ability to, um, to, to, to certify that this piece is an OG and all that good stuff is something that takes a massive amount of power to, to accomplish. And so it's actually negative for the, the earth to do this. It produces like the same amount of electricity in usage of servers as something like Argentina. What? Yeah. The, the, the numbers I've seen is someone did one that uh, did like the energy usage of Europe for 40 years or something. What? Yeah, I don't know if it's that much. That, but... yeah, that, I've seen I've seen that some of those uh, are are exaggerations. Okay, but either way, 
just to paint the picture, uh, think about what you do normally on your computer and how it probably is you know, negative for the world that That's we're all true, doing Marco, it. big time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 it's it, it's maybe an acceptable level. This is taking that and timesing it by who the hell knows yeah. how much. Yeah. And the more popular it gets, the worse it is for our world. I've seen that as like one of the biggest uh, criticisms of crypto that isn't like based in that it it you know could go away, right? That it might not have longevity or whatever. Is right. that it's actually awful for the environment? <laughs> well, exactly. let me let me ask a follow up clarifying question before I try to form an opinion on something ask like it. this. Sean and Marco, is there a plausibility that something like farming cryptocurrency or something mining. like mining, mining? Excuse me. Uh, is there, could that be done in a sustainable way? Uh, insofar as you address like renewable energies, like since it, since it uses electricity, as long as we find new advances in electricity, then those costs go down and the harm of using more electricity to draw away from certain places, uh, diminishes as the world is now. No. Yeah, because the problem yeah. is, um, and this is probably maybe worthwhile if you're not familiar with like what crypto mining is. Essentially, you have these people who buy up thousands of dollars of uh, of computer parts to make these farms that are basically just like rooms or warehouses filled with computers that are constantly running to you know make cryptocurrency. Um, for that that person, right, or that farm owner, or whatever, um, and that was actually it. It led to uh, an artificial scarcity of, I guess, not technically artificial, right, um, of of graphics cards for computers. Yes. Yep. That was yep. a huge thing. Where like um, the new round of of Nvidia cards came out, and they were being sold at like twice what they were worth yeah. because the crypto market day one has bots set up to grab them and like actual consumers can't get their hands on, on computer parts that they need right now. Um, and it's been a consistent problem over the last couple of years. So let me, let me take this into the space of DC and explain why we're even talking about this right now. Cause this is not the NFT pals or the crypto pals. So Jose Delgo is a, an artist and he worked at Marvel in DC. He did a lot of Wonder Woman art, and that's kind of what he's known for in the 70s and 80s. He sold his artwork uh, in, in, in NFT form and made $1.85 million. This was Wonder Woman artwork, by and large. And of course... DC owns that character. So DC is feeling burnt by the fact that they are not making money off of their characters in this NFT space. Um, A lot of people use crypto and use NFTs to launder money. So there's even that aspect to it, which is a whole different ball game. Um, But these things are being bought up like crazy and DC sees an opportunity here. So what happened on March 11th, bleeding cool leaked a, an email, I guess um, that was sent out to all staff 
and freelancer. Well, I guess to freelancers and whoever is, you know, whoever has an exclusive contract with DC, um, telling them they better not do what Jose did. So here's what the, the, the piece of mail said. This came from Jay Kogan, who is the senior vice president of legal affairs at DC. He said, Dear freelancer, non-fungible tokens are becoming the newest fan collectibles and have generated significant press and buzz in the digital space. DC is exploring opportunities to enter the market for the distribution and sale of original DC digital art with NFTs, including both new art created specifically for the NFT market, as well as original art rendered for DC's comic book publications. As DC examines the complexities of the NFT marketplace and we work on a reasonable and fair solution for all parties involved, including fans and collectors, please note that the offering for sale of any digital images featuring DC's intellectual property with or without NFTs, whether rendered for DC's publications or rendered outside the scope of one's contractual agreement with DC is not permitted. If you are approached by anyone interested in including any of your DC art in an NFT program, please let Lawrence Gainham, DC's VP of Talent Services, know. We expect the participation of DC's freelance talent will be an integral component of the NFT program that DC puts into place. We'll share further information as it becomes available, and we appreciate your cooperation and partnership. Now, this caused an explosion on Twitter of people, creators and fans alike, who were angry that DC was jumping into the NFT space. Um, part of it is because of the very real, uh, you know, issue that it creates for the environment. But the other part is that it very much appears as though DC is trying to limit its freelancers' ability to make money off of DC characters, even though the freelancer themselves is the person who draws the character and therefore owns the art that they produced. Right. That's so the it, first thing I heard. They going to Simon Schuster the shit out of these artists. Yep. What do you mean by that? They going, they're going to fucking uh, keep millions of dollars away from, from their families and the rightful property rights and all that garbage from them. They're going to deny them their fair due is what I mean. That's exactly what it looks like. And this reminds me very much of the WWE who, uh, you know, keep their freelancers from being able to, you know, use those, those names or those characters that they embody in any space other than the WWE, even though they are that character or right. keep them from working in other places, even though they are a freelancer. So it does get very complicated. Uh, DC appears to have already kind of dipped their toes into this space because Vive Collectibles has a DC Comics Batman NFT line with Jim Lee. Uh, cool. So, yeah, right. Um so apparently that didn't work out because when they were trying to sell them, uh, the website crashed. But th th this is what this is what is happening. So first, let me ask you guys. How do you feel about this decision on the part of D.C. to jump into uh, NFT? I, I was going to ask uh, how it currently works with artists who do commissions and who have prints and stuff like that because 
technically are they not able to do make that art and sell it? I think I think that it very much uh, operates in the same way that a lot of potentially dicey fair use um, types of art exist in, right? Like something like. Um, I don't know, right? Like like Let's Plays or something like that, right? Where it's like, legally speaking, if DC wanted to come and drop the hammer on them and be like, you're profiting off of our character and you're not allowed to do that, they could. But if it's an artist that they're working with or it's an artist that's making such a small amount of money, you know, that there are other reasons that you don't go through that trouble. Right. And I ask that just because... There are less artists working for DC and Marvel and companies than the sum total of artists who create art. And that then can affect uh, those artists' livelihoods, right? Because a lot of them make art for for people who, who want it in a certain style and things like that. So if, if DC is well within their right to manage the art coming out of its creators, but it would have to be a different conversation for artists who aren't in there. And I think at that point would need to be, um, there would need to be some sort of intervention on a, uh, on a government level, like a, a regulation level, because at least the advantage of an NFT is you can actually program it so that, should an art piece with a certain character be sold, you can it, you can put in there, hey, a portion of this percentage-wise needs to be sent over to DC or it needs to be uh, a portion of the money made needs to be sent to X artists over the length of its, its trades. Uh, so there's, I don't think it's inherently wrong for them to want like a piece of that. But I think also then we have to consider for every other artist who makes a living off of this stuff, how that's going to affect their bottom lines as well. So there's a couple of things at play. Uh, I think that DC would have a hell of a time in court trying to uh, come after artists who are doing this. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really feel like they would have a problem because uh, they're, th- it's original artwork. Right. Sorry, doing this, making commissions or doing the NFTs? Uh, one and the same Either. My, from my perspective as okay. it relates to this conversation. Yeah, okay. uh, I think they would have a hell of a time doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is more them flexing to try to scare creators. Yeah, uh, I think that I'm not saying that they could not possibly do it. I think it would be very difficult for them to try to do that. Uh, if a large amount of creators decided that they wanted to do this, especially because literally anybody can draw Wonder Woman. And, you know, if you want to say, well, Nicola Scott can't do that uh, and you want to come after her, well, what about, you know, uh, Sarah Pacelli, who doesn't work for DC? Yeah. What are you going to do about her? What are you going right. to do about this one and that one? There's endless amounts of creators who can draw Wonder Woman. And by the way, if you're a freelancer for DC and you're not like employed by them, how does that work out? How much control does DC actually have over their IP once other people can do creative things with them outside of DC's range? I mean, I think the reality is that they have a lot of power. Um, I think the reason that 
this doesn't happen is because it's not worth it. Yeah. It's um, definitely because of the massive amount of money that's going to these NFT sales. Yeah. So, yeah. Then, so, so then why it, did they not try to go after Jose Delco? Well, it's the same reason you wouldn't go after somebody making a fan Batman book and selling it or a, like, like it's just, it's not worth the time and money and effort. For I mean, he made $1.85 million. So I'm sure. sorry, Jose was the, the artist who did the Wonder Woman thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the reason that they're probably not going after him is because for the same reason that, that like I'm outlining here is that like, it's not worth it to go after him. Like there's a lot of money made, but the the reality is that, right? Like they haven't made any kind of statement where they said that this wasn't cool. And it isn't dissimilar from what you're talking about with commissions and selling your artwork and all that. And that's, that's there's a history of that being okay. So if tomorrow DC's like, oh, he made a million dollars, we're going to go try to take a cut of that. That's a fucking PR nightmare. Whereas now they can be like, well, we told you to not do that because we have our own program and we were going to involve you in that. And now you're going against what we asked you to do as your employer. And like, that's not cool. Whereas beforehand, they hadn't made an official commentary on it, right? It would be within, at least within the closed loop of the DC artists that they're using currently. But for people outside of that, you can't, you can enforce it, but whether or not you will be, to Pete's point, is going to be uh, something that artists all over the world are going to flip out about because it's like, well, then can I no longer draw a, a DC piece and sell it because this is how I make my money day to day? And and how is um, and I can then only get things out of DC who doesn't put out original artwork. So here's my question. Yeah. When Nicholas Scott draws Wonder Woman, who owns that drawing? What is she part of this program? I'm asking you when Nicholas Scott draws Wonder Woman, who owns so that that's artwork? that's the thing is it's muddy. Right. So like right. I would say Nicola owns the artwork. But as soon as you try to sell the artwork, then you are breaking the law. Right. You're violating yes. IP. Um, and like, and to, to pull an example from somewhere else, right? It would be like if I recorded a cover song and put it out without paying for a license and I started making money off of it, then whoever owns the rights to that song is going to come and, and sue me. And I'm going to have to pay them a percentage that I owe them. Right. Um, you see it all the time uh, in the space of video games, right? Where like fan games, hacks, all those kinds of things, they get shut down. Uh, ROM sites get shut down by Nintendo specifically all the time um, because they're trying to protect their IP. And for all intents and purposes, yeah, they own it, right? Like they own uh, Wonder Woman. So they are allowed to tell you, you're not allowed to profitize off of our IP in that way. Even if you own the image, sure, but it's when you sell it that you break the law, because making uh, fan art and putting it out for free is legal. Put yes. another put another way uh, to answer Sean's question: DC owns Wonder Woman. Like, That's not what I asked. <laughs> it's not literally. Not you said you said who owns the character, right? No, no I he said not. who owns the. I know who owns who owns the owns Wonder Woman. <laughs> I'm very confident. Uh, well, my my point is like these characters aren't public domain, right? Like they can't be used in a free. Environment like they can't be used by other people for the purposes of sales, right? Um, so 
the only t- like if you're printing a zine that has Wonder Woman, chances are time Warner won't give a shit because it's just some zine that you're publishing in your neighborhood or whatever. But when these when you start making f- more than five you know, figures on a commission or anything like that, like that attracts the attention of these companies because, you know, they want, they want a piece of the pie more. So they want all of the pie. Got it. So, yeah. uh, As I said earlier, a lot of people are really, really upset about this. Sure. Um, From the perspective, we, we, we just talked about, you know, who owns, who owns the work and things like that. But, from the perspective of if I'm a freelancer at DC comics, what happens when this NFT program goes live and they want to have me draw wonder woman to sell? um, What do I get out of that? You'd get a, Um, you'd get a commission basically. Right. Like, and and then I think that's the thing, right. Is I think that's why people are so mad about this and why, why people are afraid of it is that, I think if you do start having this digital like footprint on all this work, then all of a sudden DC can have an easier way to go. Uh, no, that's our character. You owe us a percentage of that. Um, did you make money on that? We get a cut of that, you know, um, and dictating that market and deciding that the fan art market is now something that they get a cut on every time. And that's not how it's ever worked. And there are a lot of artists that are not professional um, comic creators that make money doing commissions, right? And that's their whole job is drawing other people's characters or or whatever, right? Um, and you know, legally speaking, what they're doing is dicey. You know, like they they are breaking the law. Um, I don't know that they should be considered break to be breaking the law, but that's a whole other conversation about how IP law works. Right. But but it would it would fall into the same <clears throat> the same gray area of IP law whether it was digital or, or, or physical like you, you <clears throat> the ownership stays with the person who in, who started the the NFT and then from there the selling becomes an issue for IP law but the ownership remains with the person who has the NFT up until it's either sold and and that that blockchain is updated. My point like, is that that makes it easier to track though. Yeah. Absolutely. Like who the original person that did it was? All of who it. Who has it? The the fact that it exists at all, it's on a grid, right? Like you made the point that you could uh, say I'm an artist and I draw this Wonder Woman this Wonder Woman piece. There is a way that you said that you can program into the NFT that, oh, well, this is a character that's owned by DC, so they're supposed to get a cut, right? And then if I'm an artist and I'm doing DC fan art and selling it and that's how I make my money – all of a sudden, every time that I do that and I don't put that kickback to DC, I'm breaking the law. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as it stands right now, that doesn't that doesn't exist, right? If I reach out to uh, an artist who I saw did a Wonder Woman drawing that I liked on Instagram and they have commissions and I say, hey, I want to commission you to do this this Wonder Woman piece, right? DC has no knowledge that that piece exists. There's no way for them to track that. It's it's just like when you go and buy a drawing from whoever at a Comic-Con, right? Like, technically, they're breaking the law, but it's really hard to prove that they're doing that. And, like, are you really going to go through and every year go to everyone's booth and see if they have a drawing of your character and take your whatever percentage of the fucking few hundred dollars that this random artist made? Like, no, it's a lot of work to do that. 
um, and it's frankly not worth it. When it's digital, it's not a lot of work to do that. You can automate a ton of it, and you can have bots do crawls, and it's like you can have a system that works the same way that like YouTube does, where like it scans everything and it flags you and it assumes that the IP holder is in the right. And then it's the onus is on you, the creator, to prove that you're not breaking the law. Right. I think that um, this is this is a bad look for DC. It's dangerous. It's really dangerous. It's it's very dangerous. And you look at the difference between how DC is handling it and Marvel's very early sort of response to this. Um, which isn't directly Marvel. So basically what, what's happening is uh, uh, artists have teamed up to do this with Marvel characters um, and presumably uh, Marvel has signed off on it. Um, Portion.io said that they have Dan Panosian, Mateo Scalera, Dave Johnson, Andy Kubert, Adam Kubert, and Eric Kinnett. Um and Andy's Spider-Man NFT sold for $25,000. I, I So like I see that as the same thing as what DC's putting out is that we don't want you to do it unless it's within this network that we're building where Marvel or DC has signed off on. And then they're able to sell it, quote unquote, approved art. But this isn't Marvel's program. This is... Marvel artists who got the sign off teaming up to do this for some website with Marvel's blessing. Right. And that, that can easily be adapted into to roll into whatever DC's planning within their own NFT marketplace is that you have sign off, you have these artists and let us rather than it be portion.io it's dccomics.com. Yes, absolutely. Um, what I'm, I guess, what I see as as different here is DC's telling everybody, do nothing, don't interact with this at all. If someone makes you an offer, come to us. We're gonna profit, um, with no current plans about how creators are gonna see some kickback. Yeah. Whereas with this, of course, we don't know all the details, but the idea that these creators got to partake in this, um. And and that's what we know. And Marvel has had no official commentary about it. I think that's a better look, especially because it's more under the radar. Yeah, and at and, least for the time being. Yeah, and and for DCs, is just to clarify that it's just DC art. What do you mean? Like they're saying that if you're not permitted for anything within within DC's art, it says uh, you're pressed for anyone interested, in including right, any of your right. DC art in an energy program. Please contact. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, they're not coming after them for their Tomb Raider artwork. No, right. So, like, just just clarifying that it's only for DC. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think you're right, Sean. There's there's no way to look at this other than it being a bad look. Like, I, I think it 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 it's greedy. Like, it, it smacks of greed, right? They smell the blood in the water, and they're like, "How do we get in on this?" You know, um, and it's it's a hundred percent. How do we take a percentage out of the pockets of artists you know that's what they're trying to do and you know for every argument you can make about who owns the ip and how that works and everything like 
we have such fucking draconian laws about IP and these massive corporations every time that Mickey Mouse or Batman or whoever is about to go into the public domain, they find a way to, you know, exert their will and modify the law so that they can keep profiting off of these characters. And ultimately, that's their prerogative. And if that's what they're going to do, fine. But to me, like, this is a bridge too far. If you want to fight to make sure that you own Superman in perpetuity, we can enter, I can entertain that conversation. But the idea that now you're going to try to clamp the boot down on one of the limited ways that the creators who you underpay have to make more money is fucking... It's just gross. So Bleeding Cool actually compiled uh, lots of different Twitter threads and conversations about this very subject. And one of the uh, tweets was from Augie DeBliek Jr., who said, is anyone else concerned that DC's language on NFT sounds very close to you can't sell your original art created for a DC comic? I don't know if NFTs are going to take off, but the artist should still own the rights to their own artwork as they do with physical art now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess based on this conversation that maybe this person is misinformed because the way that Pete put it, that person actually only owns the right to have the artwork, not to sell it. So based on that logic, that would tell me that someone like Alex Ross, who sells his own artwork all the time, is actually doing something illegal. Um, I think that would be a little bit different, though, because 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 that's kind of a gray area, right? Because like at that point, you're. I think he might have a permission to do so, though, because like in that case, you're selling an original piece of art that you were commissioned to make for this other book or whatever, right? But like you, like you said, right? You own that physical piece of art, and owning a physical piece of art that you then sell, like resell is a little bit different than I am going to make a original piece of art that I was not commissioned to create based on an IP that you own and profit off of it. Like that, you know what I mean? Like it, it I, I get where you made that, but I, I think legally that would be a little bit different. So you're saying that if DC pays you to make the art, you make it and then you sell it. That's fine. But if you choose on your own to draw DC's art and you work for DC and you sell that, then you're in trouble. Is it yeah. the is it that you own the physical say, you know, a page, uh, a comic page that you draw. Right. DC's commissioned you to draw, you know, a page, whatever. They get the reproduction rights for that so that they can profit off putting it out and putting it into the world and then you own the physical piece because that's not what they paid you for right right i guess yeah that's and i might be speaking out of turn but that that is my understanding of that because it's it's technically a different thing right like if i you know um if if i'm like creating Wonder Woman drawings, right? Or, or if I'm like a, a an Etsy creator, right? And I'm selling Wonder Woman merch that I custom made. Like that is me making unlicensed DC stuff and selling it illegally. 
Whereas if you're a commissioned artist that did that work, you're not actually really selling, like you're selling the physical piece of art that you created versus um, like light, like illegally licensing a character for an, a, an original piece of art that you were not commissioned for. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's super weird and confusing, but I think that's, that's like kind of how IP law works. Well, let's, let's say that Pete's right. Um, then I still feel like the creators who work for DC are this is this is potentially extremely damaging. Yes, because we know for a fact that a lot of these artists supplement their income by selling. Forget sitting there and drawing for you at a Comic Con, literally selling the original one of one artwork from issue X of Y that they did. To that point, Sean, too, right? Think about how many artists, like uh, Fiona Staples does all her work digitally. She can't sell that. Yeah, mm. that was going to be my question is, does it go as far as like if you make this on a tablet and it's digital art instead of like paper art, is that is that it? Like, it, Is that, that where the line is, right? Yeah. yeah, I don't know, but that would be a unique wrinkle to this conversation it, it it is it is interesting um so someone named pj holden kind of spoke to it a little on a little bit of a different end he said take a look at makersplace.com uh it's a it's an nft website he said saw a whole bunch of dc characters with art but for sale from from DC artists, so there's going to be trouble. You know, if you're making NFTs, that's pretty morally dubious. But let's put that to one side. If you're making NFTs of things that belong to other people, that's just trademark infringement, and any owner of trademarks has to chase you down. It's playing with fire. There's two elements to that. So one element is what we've already been talking about regarding DC Comics uh, being able to legally chase you down for breaking their copyright. The other part of this, though is that what I've learned is people can actually take your artwork that let's say you posted on social media yeah. and then <laughs> make an NFT of that. Yeah, yeah. I have. So, so they get to shitty. it before you do mm-hmm. and now they're selling it for however much and you have no, well, you, you may you may or may not have rights to that. I don't know how that works, but like they're profiting and you're not. That would That's, be a thing that I imagine right now exists as a loophole because it's a new thing and that, that they'll have right. to create some kind of legal system there that you have to be able to prove that you own the work. And if you illegally have taken someone else's work that you'll have to pay. You know? Yeah, that's that's something that. So in, in the Discord, I was talking about this with Harris. Um, we talk about cryptocurrency stuff, and he he mentioned that that's one of the hardest parts of this is the enforcement. To that exact point, is that what if I get to it first? What do you? What can you do? Because technically, no, no, I own this digital piece because I have the stamp of approval that says this is owned by X person. Whether or not I created it doesn't matter. I owned it, so the NFT is in my possession. And then from there, you would have to essentially buy back your piece of art. Which is ridiculous, right? Because what you what you have right now is a system that basically amounts to dibs. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> which is fucking yeah, insane. For sure. Right? It'd be like if I was just like, oh, this is new. Uh, I put the first NFT code on a new hope, so call me up, Disney. Yep. You know? Like, it's like, <laughs> motherfucker, that's not how IP works. Like, <laughs> we, we don't know how this is going to affect 
the world at large, uh, the digital space, we, we really, you know, we can't speak to that. But DC has, in my mind, made quite a few movements lately that feel um, anti their workers. And this is the most egregious. Um, DC Creators Union, let's go. <laughs> comics, yeah, right. Um, this is the most egregious. And we know that DC is about maximum profit these days. They've been, they've, you know, they haven't literally said that, but their movements tell us that that's the case. Mm-hmm. But there's a line that I think they have to be very conscious of. And of course, we're not supposed to have seen this email. This is something that was leaked and maybe that's unfair to them because it seems like they are trying to put a plan together and they have an idea to include uh, creators within that strategy. But I personally have a hard time believing that whatever that ultimately is, is going to be fair to the creators. Yeah. Because, yeah, all right, I'm Nicholas Scott. I drew Wonder Woman for DC Comics. Um, but I And I sell it through whatever this program is and I make a pittance of the millions of dollars that I could have made if I was allowed to sell this myself. I have to literally go through a middleman to sell something I don't need help selling to make 10% of of what they're going to make off of this. And, you know, we don't talk about comics in that way because it's like, hey, DC commissioned me to draw Wonder Woman. I'm the regular series artist. Obviously, this book is going to make way more money in the wild when DC's selling it, then I will. But the difference is that DC's doing absolutely all of the legwork to, you know, get a writer, you know, uh, publish it, uh, get the editors. The Run infrastructure it. is yeah, DC's promotion. infrastructure. Right, exactly. So you can you can rationalize with that. That's perfectly okay. That's an exchange, right? Like you're getting a platform for pay. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. yeah. Yeah. But when you say, I drew this, I did all the physical legwork to make this piece of reality, and literally all you're going to do is take what I did and sell it and make millions, and yeah. I don't? And take that's a cut bullshit. because some other fucking person created this character 100 years ago now. Like, that's right. it's, it's insane. That's the fucking problem, right? Is like, and, and, and I, I will say, you know, I, I've been vocally critical of them in this conversation. I think there's also something to be said for, like, the way that IP law works is draconian, and it also damages uh, companies that are IP holders. Because the way that IP law works is that if you own uh, an intellectual property, it is your job as the owner of it to defend it. So, like, um, that's, like, why you'll see certain um like there was this really really big push uh from q-tips years ago right because q-tips was becoming synonymous with whatever they're actually called you know ear cleaners whatever the cotton, fuck oh yeah cotton swabs yeah thank you um i didn't even know the word because of how ubiquitous this is right yeah, and right. they they were going to court and like pushing all of these different branding things and all this stuff because they were worried that they were in danger of losing their IP because the term was so ubiquitous, right? And that's why you see some of these very draconian moves from companies because ultimately like their their hold over their IP can sometimes be uh, challenged very easily 
if they are lax about this kind of thing. So, like, I think we're at a point where, like, in 2021, in in our increasingly digital world, like, it's time to reevaluate some of these conversations, you know, and that, like, we need to have a world where these companies don't need to be as fucking paranoid about it so that if you do do your your fan art or your your you know hack or whatever the fuck that they don't feel like they need to attack you a regular person for being a fan and that you as a regular person if you do do something that is transformative with an ip that already exists that yeah you should be able to profit off of it i you know like and maybe there's a conversation you have to have with the ip holder whatever whatever but like i think it's time to have that conversation again and uh a little separate from that but if if you're somebody who's looking to make money off of nft art uh uh, like honestly these are just selling like normal commissions the the outlier with um was it gelbo jose delgo delgo like that's an outlier in the most extreme sense is that most gifts and most digital pieces that that i've seen as people have been generally opening up their own nft art they're selling for like 100 bucks so the that prospect i think is also misguided so for anybody who like wants to approach it from that angle you're coming at it from the the opposite spectrum of what it should be which is uniquely owning something that somebody created for you the same way you would a commission or any sort of physical piece of art. If that's true, then what's the point? Supposedly, you know, this is having such an adverse impact on the environment. Then what's the what's what's the point if it's so detrimental? Well, that the the adverse effects on on that is just like the sum total of cryptocurrencies, less so this like sliver of a cryptocurrency. Like this is this is a cryptocurrency the way Bitcoin is and Ethereum is and whatever. There's there's more to it than that. So first of all, um, you know, yes, Marco's right. Joe Schmo's not going to be making millions of dollars selling their their personal OG uh, Wonder Woman print. But we're not. This is not really what that's about. This is about people like you know Andy Kubert, right? Sold his Spider Man NFT for twenty five thousand dollars, right? If he just drew one uh, Spider Man. He probably isn't making $25,000 off that, just that one drawing. But through this, through this, he can for a myriad of different reasons. And um, that the, the, the value in it for, for someone like that is I can sell this Spider-Man artwork to everyone at Comic-Con for $100, or I can sell the original digitally and, and mint it for twenty five thousand dollars, that's the difference. That's well, you would, crazy. You would still be able to sell the that print, right? Because like you would you would sell the original piece for that exorbitant amount. And the advantage, at least from the artist end, is you can continue to sell either yeah. digitally or physically that that same print. I get it. I was explaining the value of why someone would bother with this in the first place. To sure. Kill. Yeah. Um. So, I'm with you, Pete. Right when you say. DC is within their rights to, you know, protect their IP. And I think that there are a lot of instances where, you know, you should do that, right? Like um, if some random person has the capacity to make millions of dollars off of what, you know, what you own, I could see why someone would be like, man, this sucks. And I want to, you know, 
rack on that with their own workers specifically. And I normally don't get up in arms about things like this. This shit feels wrong. Yeah, dude. I mean, it feels wrong that Nicholas Scott can't bank off this, but DC can. Comic book creators should um, just 1 million percent unionize. It's 50 years, 60 years overdue at this point. Yeah. Like the fact that like uh like stuff like the like the comic book um defense league fund, right? Yeah. Right, that's it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that should not have ever even needed to exist. Like that like in mm. the same way that there's like the actors union, like comic creators need to have a union where they can protect each other's interests and collectively bargain on things like this. Um and if somebody like a DC wants to to do something like this, then then the union, which you know, ideally, right, has all of the A, S tier, and you know, all the talent, right, is like, okay, well, then we're not going to work with you because you're anti-worker, right? And like that, I think, I think that's un- until comic book creators have uh, something like that that they can use to to barter with these companies. Like, it's so easy for them to be taken advantage of. It's so easy. Because to Sean's point before, right, like getting to Marvel or DC in the comics industry, that's the big show, you know, and like that's how most people make a living is they get there and they work hard and that's either what they do then forever or they break out and they're able to go do some their own thing and build their own career. Um, And there's no universe where we get away from that. So... I think it's at the point where the creators need to figure out how they can work together to to not allow things like this to happen. Because at the end of the day, like they're the industry, right? Like they're the ones that make the books. If if the S tier talent doesn't want to work with you, your sales suffer and your IP becomes worthless. And and think about this, you know, if 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 DC has been struggling with being able to keep top tier talent within their ranks writers can't really benefit from this but wouldn't it be something that could make someone go well dc may not be paying me the big bucks that they used to but through this new thing this nft i can sell the original artwork that i produce for them mm-hmm. for way more money than they're paying me making it worthwhile to stay here well and what a what a fucking what an amazing uh argument it makes to go work at marvel right where marvel's yeah. like hey we'll pay you more and we don't give a fuck what you do with NFT. Go ahead. Like, why would any any S tier creator then work at DC unless unless they really fucking love a character and have a story they really feel like they need to tell? Um, and, yeah. But, and by the way, Marvel allowed. You know, I just listed off several different artists who were allowed to profit uh, off this. The only person that we are aware of who was officially sanctioned by DC to profit is Jim Lee, who yeah. isn't a freelancer. He's an employee at the highest he's level. A of the C- yeah, he's a C-level executive in the fucking company. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I, it, I don't, I don't want to be on a crusade against DC, but that shit looks bad to me. It just looks bad. And I hope that uh, the creators are able to profit fairly off of this. What's fair. I don't know. Uh, they'll determine that down the road but 
Um, I do hope that this is something that gets resolved in a way that allows creators to profit off of what they're producing. Because guess what? If you don't have these artists to draw Wonder Woman, owning the rights to Wonder Woman means nothing. It means absolutely nothing if no one wants to draw these characters for you. Especially when you can't make a good fucking movie. I mean, it it really feels like DC is trying to push back on the creator ownership that was negotiated by like Neil Adams and company with that comics creator guild 30 years ago. Like they're trying to, you know, scale that back as much as possible to like try to, you know, edge as much money as possible. If you're an artist in the industry, why do you ever work at DC? Pete, you say you're interested in, you know, writing or, or illustrating for a character, man, I love Superman, but at this point I would never work for DC if I was a writer, writer or an artist. And that's the thing is I'm sure there are a lot of people that feel that way. Um, but that's the thing, right? At, at that point, I'm not even making the argument that that's a good reason. Yeah. But that is that becomes the sole reason. Yeah. Is I want to write Superman. I want to write Batman. Whatever. Right? Other than that, what other fucking reason would you work there? They're not even paying competitively anymore. No. You know? No. Right. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I feel like... What you're saying, Sean, is like, uh, it's true, right? Like, we're, we don't, we love DC's characters, and like, there are plenty of DC books that we have loved and creators from there and everything, right? Like, we don't come on here, like, wanting to tear them down, um, but the decisions they're making are are bad, and they're anti the, the very people that create the art that we're here to talk about, you know? And like, I don't know, like, I'm not going to pull punches about that. So yeah, Sean's starting a crusade against DC. You heard it first here. Down, hashtag down with DC. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you fall on this subject? Do you think that DC should control their freelancers uh, and what they produce with their characters? Or do you think that DC should kind of see where this goes and, and take maybe the Marvel route, what appears to be the Marvel route and be a little bit more lax with it. Obviously this is new ground for everybody involved and you know, there will be mistakes and lessons learned along the way. Let's just hope that whatever lessons DC has to learn along the way, don't end up negatively impacting the creators and take food out of their, out of their mouths and off their, their, their plates. Um, if you want to let us know and chime in with your thoughts, you can reach out to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com or wherever it is that you listen to this show. Make sure while you're there, you leave us a review and a rating. Uh, if you want to get us on social, we are, of course, at the Comics Pals. And on YouTube, you can like the video, share it with your friends, sound off in the comments, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. I just want to remind you guys that we are going to be doing a Zack Snyder's Justice League watch along. So if you want to come hang out with us for four hours Ugh. this Friday, come do that. Uh, we promise you that you will have a time. It will definitely <laughs> be time. a time. <laughs> inevitably, will it will be that. inevitably it will be a long time. Whether it's yes. a good time or a bad time, we make no promise. Lots of time will pass. <laughs> uh, also, Falcon Winter Soldier, we watch, will be something that you can expect next week as well. So stay tuned for all of that good stuff. Our book reviews, check those out. We're This week we reviewed Joker number one, Children of the Atom number one, and Proctor Valley Road number one. All number ones. 
uh, we are on it. If you if there are any books you want us to review that we're not, reach out and let us know. Guess which one I like the most, real quick. Joker. You have to find out. Go watch the review. Oh, oh. oh. okay. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, and speaking of Pete, I'm going to let you make an announcement. And maybe we should have done this earlier, but we're doing it now. What am I announcing? About what our next book club is. Oh, yes. I would love to do that. Joker. Yes. We're going to be <laughs> reviewing Joker. Uh, no. So I am super pleased to announce that our next book club is, of course, Invincible, my favorite comic of all time. It will be uh, coming out right alongside the reveal of the first uh, three episodes of the show at the end of March. Uh, we will also be doing a We Watch of Invincible. Uh, so you're going to want to check that out. Um, we've got a ton of fun Invincible content planned uh, now that it is more relevant than ever. Um, so definitely um, check that out. We have the list of what books we'll be reading up on our social media. Um, but I believe I believe we're stopping at like 30? 35. 35. 35. Thank you. Um, and that also includes the zero issue and, um, and the annual. So, um, yeah, if you want to get the full list, it is, of course, on our Instagram and our Twitter um, at the Comics Pals. Go check it out. I would love for you to read the book and come uh, send your questions and hang out and talk with us about it. Uh, my favorite book of all time. And I'm super excited that the guys are finally going to read it. Well, Pete, while you're at it, why don't you plug yourself? Okay. So uh, you can find me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about Invincible because that's what I want to talk about right now. Um, and then if you want to get some more content from me, uh, my band, Long Friend, Time Friend, we just dropped our first album, If Me Dies, Me Dies, uh, just two weeks ago now. Um, yeah, it's really good. I'm really happy with it. Uh, a lot of people are saying nice things about it. Hope you go check it out wherever you get your music. Uh, and then if you want to get uh, some more podcasts from me, I also host the Podcast weekly Nintendo podcast over on LootPots.com. Uh, go check it out. Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Um, it's been a year since I've had my dog. Nice. Hey. So. Well, that's that's actually wonderful. Uh, you can find my work at KaleWard.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. If you want to make an NFT of it and give me a shit ton of money, then I'm all for it. Um, actually, I, I don't think I can do that, actually. It's not my art. <laughs> so, never mind. No, I mean, that's the thing. If you get there first, it's yours. That's what we learned today. Hmm. Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come, come, mining, come a mining with me as we dig through these NFTs. Oh, how, uh, how surprised also, would you be to find out that Marco owned a crypto farm? Not remotely, right? Uh, that's a lot of CPU power, bro. I can't. I can barely. I, I can barely edit a video. Got to move out of New he York. Can't, he can't get his computer back from his wife to let <laughs> to record a podcast, let that's alone own a crypto farm. True. <laughs> uh, but we are doing a um, Akira read along. So join us in the Weeb chat for any fans of either the movie or somebody who hasn't read the book. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We. Some of us didn't do our homework this week, so we are moving the second volume conversation to next week. So you have still have time to catch up on the first volume and read the second volume. Phil. You find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at CyborgBebop. I would like for you all to start using the hashtag MakePhilMarvel and let the folks, the fine folks at Marvel know that you would love to see Phil as a member of the X-Men. <laughs> I'm a team player, baby. And uh, while you're at it, 
since Marco's talking about being a minor, I'd love to see some illustrations of Marco as a minor. Oh no! And give give us the NFT. Oh, no, <laughs> give us the NFT. Please be careful. <laughs> the pickaxe kind of minor. Yes, the, the pickaxe kind of minor. Of minor. <laughs> uh, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Um, yeah, I'm excited for Falcon Winter Soldier and, uh, you know, all the Marvel and DC goodness that's coming out this year. So we can chat about that if you want. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Do you think the title of We Watch should be We Watched Winter Falcon? Nope.